So I hope you are um, well and settling in. Uh, it's been now almost 24 hours um, um, since you began arriving here. And um, it does take time. It takes time to settle, for the mind to settle. So um, I encourage you to be patient and uh, yeah, just begin again, begin again. Um, so I'd like to share a few thoughts about gratitude and generosity. We've talked a bit about gratitude, um, reflecting a little bit uh, on what we're grateful for, and I'd like to open that up even a little bit more. And uh, to me, uh, gratitude is very connected to generosity. Um, it's, uh, I think that gratitude, in a way, lays the groundwork for generosity. Um, so what is, what is gratitude when we, when we say, I'm grateful for something? Um, you know, maybe we can unpack it a little bit and, and explore uh, what, what does that mean? I think that gratitude is a kind of presence, a quality of presence. Um, when we are grateful, we're noticing something in the present moment and appreciating it and, and, and recognizing um, the benefit that we are receiving uh, we are we're noticing the blessings that are there for us and it's, it's, it's actually a way that we open up to what is coming in what we are how, how life which includes other people and the beauty of nature and um, and uh, the the food that we're eating and the water and the and the lake uh all of these things uh, how they enrich and bless our lives so it's it's taking that in uh gratitude affirms <clears throat> opening to gratitude so intentionally bringing, bringing an intention to say, um, what am I grateful for right now? What's, what's evoking gratitude right now for me? And it's, it brings us into a kind of an inquiry as to who we are in this moment and, and what and who are we in relationship with. So, so the inquiry of Gratitude brings us beyond, it kind of uh, moves through and, and maybe dissolves or breaks, breaks through to a certain extent that sense of solidity and separateness of self. When I bring attention to gratitude, 
I'm bringing attention to what supports my life, what nourishes us, and it removes our attention from what we lack. So we, we often spend a lot of time thinking about what we don't have or what we didn't have or what we didn't get. Uh, so when we cultivate an attitude of gratitude, we are uh, shifting that. And it, um, that, that sense of lack, that sense of deprivation, that sense of, you know, I was, I didn't have a, a good family. I didn't, I didn't grow up with loving parents or whatever it is, or uh, we didn't have enough. I wasn't able to do this or that, do sports or um, because there wasn't enough money or whatever it is that we may be holding as resentment or as a sense of deprivation in our lives. Um, that can become very uh, entrenched in the mind and it can, um, it can blind us and prevent us from seeing what is blooming and what is present in our lives right now. So, um, so it's not an avoidance. It's not, it's not saying, well, you know, everything was great when I was growing up and we didn't have, you know, my, my family was, you know, oh, it wasn't so bad, you know. Like, no, it's not, it's not negating that maybe there was, um, there was a lot perhaps that was, you know, not helpful, not supportive, not nourishing to, to you to me, um, in our lives as children or as at whatever time uh, that we may feel that um, we didn't receive what we needed. Uh, so it doesn't negate that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't, we shouldn't attend to those feelings um, and, and honor even the, that child or that young person or, or that adult who uh, didn't receive what they needed and, and bring compassion and healing in whatever modalities we might want to explore. Um, it's, it's a gathering, um, it's a really a gathering and a, and a reminding ourselves that we are a part of life. We do belong. We are nourished. Uh, and we have been all along. And, um, and so, you know, acknowledging that we are supported by life. Gratitude brings us into a sense of the wholeness. So it's, it's not discriminating that, you know, this, this was good, this was bad. But there's a sense of that life itself in its wholeness 
is good. It brings us into presence with the beauty and the, um, the joy and, and what is alive for us right now in our lives. And we can even develop gratitude for the painful experiences in our lives. That's, that's, that's a step further. <laughs> but uh, I, I have deeply uh, understood that, that the, the pain and the suffering that have been part of my life uh, have softened my heart, have enabled me to... Uh, to connect with the suffering of others, to, to really care, to really want to be a helpful presence to those who are suffering. And, um, and so when we, when we connect with our own suffering and, and really accept it and recognize that we may have even developed as a human being uh, deeper dimensions of being uh, because of that suffering, as a result of that suffering, uh, it can, in a way, be a source of gratitude. Uh, a, um, yeah, it can awaken gratitude. So we can learn to deeply love and befriend ourselves in those, in remembering those painful times or in going through the painful times now, um, experience or open to the possibility of forgiveness, acceptance that things are as they, as they, things were as they were, um, and um, and because of the causes and conditions that were there at the time, they couldn't be any other way. So we can realize what we have learned, how we have deepened, how we're able to empathize and have compassion because we have lived through and emerged stronger and more open-hearted from facing what is painful. There's a teaching in Tibetan Buddhism. Um, it's one of the contemplations that's given to somebody who's beginning practice. Uh, and it's a reflection on the opportunities and blessings of precious human birth. So, these are conditions that make it possible for us to receive Dharma teachings. Uh, and so, um, so having a human body, um, not being born into a place of, uh, of war, where there's war happening, uh, or a, um, a, a famine so that we're, we're con continually starving to death um, and, um, and or, or, or not having enough water to drink or, or where, there's, where 
were not even picked up and held as a baby. So there are human beings that, that experience that. And it's very, very hard for those people in, in those moments, in, in the midst of all that, to begin uh, a Dharma practice, to begin a path toward freedom, toward non-reactivity. I mean, when you're only faced with uh, surviving, that's what we have to do, is to survive. So, uh, so the, the, the uh, precious human birth is, it includes having the leisure you know, so we may not think that we have a lot of leisure in our lives. Some of us may be, live very busy lives, but here we are. You know, we have the leisure to take a week to to deepen uh, in meditation, to to arrive, to be ho- to come home to ourselves, to attend to the heart. So that is precious. And it's said that uh, something that's desirable and good is even more desirable when we understand how rare it is. So, uh, so there are more than 7 billion people on our planet, which seems like a lot, but compared to other life forms, it's a very small number. So even just human birth, um, even without adding the precious you know, blessings, opportunities, and leisure, and so on, which includes hearing the Dharma teachings. So each one of our, uh, our bodies, this is, I, I, uh, I took this from a talk, uh, uh, some, some writing by Gil Fronsdale on this precious human birth. Um, Gil Fronsdale is a wonderful teacher. If you're um, not familiar with him, he's, uh, he's in Redwood, California. Um, each one of our bodies is host to millions of microscopic living beings, including bacteria, mites, and other creatures. The totality of insects and animals that live in the sea, on land, and in the air is astronomical. And this only accounts for those creatures that live on planet Earth. Deeply contemplate how rare and precious is the opportunity to have a human form with its many abilities. Even more human consciousness with the capacity to reflect, value, appreciate beauty, make choices, become self-aware, and with the capacity to discover our true relationship with life is unbelievably rare and precious. So, so, and we talked about, I talked about leisure time and, and, and spending all the hours of the, of our, uh, people spending all the hours of their day simply surviving, keeping warm, and so on. So, l- leisure, leisure is, uh, it's a great privilege that we have. Um, and how, and how do we use it? So in our culture, in our capitalist culture, we're encouraged to fill up all our time with doing things, getting things, pursuing activities, and spending time simply being present with ourselves, 
in a contemplative practice is, is definitely going against the stream of mainstream society. So, so just taking in, you know, this, you know, we are, we're born, we are born again in each moment. Birth and death is something that is, we consider, Buddhists talk about it as a cycle, the cycle of being born as a baby and, and aging and illness and death. And, but it also is something that happens moment to moment. We can see it in our meditation practice. We may be born into a, uh, a drama <laughs> that pops into our mind. And then if mindfulness comes and we recognize that this is self uh, self-created, the mind created, that we don't need to, to be sucked into that drama, that we can breathe and be present with it and just be here, be here and be with the breath, with the body right now. So, um, so that is being born into a precious human life. The preciousness of life is having time and circumstance to fulfill what Tsongkhapa, who was one of the uh, great Tibetan masters um, in the 15th century, Tsongkhapa called our eternal longing our eternal longing to, to experience this wholeness, to experience this deep connection, to experience this at-oneness um, with life, at peace with life. And, and this gratitude um, and this engagement with what is good and present and uh, beneficial for ourselves and others in our lives um, is a blessing in the world. And that brings me to generosity. How, you know, just touching back to what I I talked about on the first evening um, that we can be, as a community, as individuals, we can be um, a, a kind of a presence which um, speaks to uh, those around us, those with whom we're in contact. One of the things that set the Buddha on his path to awakening, um, it's called the, the, the four uh, heavenly uh, messengers, the four heavenly messengers. And he, so he went out from the protection and seclusion of his very luxurious life and um, very privileged and protected life. And he, he witnessed um, someone who was aging, uh, he witnessed someone who was very sick, and he witnessed 
someone who had died, and he asked his coachman who had accompanied him uh, when he snuck out at night on those, you know, kind of uh, explorations. Um, he, he said, is this, is this what all human beings uh, encounter and, and experience in their lives? And, and uh, his, his coachman said, yes, yes it is. And then the fourth heavenly messenger was to see a stramana, a, uh, a wandering mendicant, um, off in the distance, just walking so serenely across the field, his, across his field of vision, and recognizing the collectedness, the presence, the, um, the attention and care that this person embodied. And he said, that's my orientation. That's, that's where I need to, to go. That's where I need to explore. And then shortly after, he set out on his um, six years of practice to awakening. So somebody in, you know, we don't have to be, you know, a monk or, but just, just the kindness, you know, remembering the gifts that you bring, the gifts that you heard, how, how this can touch the heart of uh, somebody who's really needing just to receive a simple act of kindness. Um, I remember as I guess I was a nine-year-old and being very, very unhappy in my home and feeling very unseen, not seen, not safe, not secure, not soothed, these uh, kind of aspects of what forms a healthy attachment. Uh, so not having those. And, and I remember my third grade teacher, Mrs. Bingley, um, who who just had this wonderful smile, and she always seemed to, to welcome me. Uh, and maybe she did it for everybody, I don't know, but, but somehow in those moments when I saw her smile at me, I felt like there I was, you know, in the spotlight, and Miss Bingley was saying yes. <laughs> so, um, so those little things, those gifts that we talked about can be so powerful, because I think it, it planted a seed in me. Um, just, uh, just, um, just asking ourselves, who has loved me just for being myself? Who in, who in our lives, who in your life has loved you just for being yourself. And, and to feel the gratitude for that, for that love, which awakens something very deep in us. So 
gratitude uh, helps us to understand that life is received continually, um, that we are nourished and blessed each breath, each touch of the wind on our skin, each sound of the rustling of the leaves and the trees, the sound of the, of the stream feeding into the lake, which is uh, so lovely to hear. So with gratitude, we experience ourselves as part of the endless web of giving and receiving. And it opens us to empathy for those who may not be supported in their, in their lives. And a grateful heart is a heart that is soft and open and wants to connect with those around us. And so this spontaneous movement of generosity to reach out to support, to offer friendship, to offer what we have is, is the other side of the coin of gratitude and it's moving into the reality of a shared world. And generosity can be healing also for us. Um, it can be healing to how we are in relationship. So again, if we come from this deprivation mindset, um, and not saying that with any judgment whatsoever, um, it's, it's well known by this being, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't have, um, and, and so to, to open the heart, to share with love and support, um, it does something, uh, that, dispels this neediness that we have something to share. We are something to share. We are, we are uh, a resource that our humanity, our, our kindness, our, our humor, our, um, our care, our, our seriousness, our dedication, um, whatever we bring, you know, and, and the comparing mind says, you know, oh, they have all these gifts and I don't. And, you know, but our attention, our attention, our presence, our listening is such a gift. So there's a, there's a poem, a very short poem that... Um, is one of my favorites. Uh, it's by uh, Hafiz, who, um, oh, now I've forgotten what is Persian, uh, and I think uh, 12th century, but I'm not sure. And it's called uh, With That Moon Language. It's a, um, it's a re-rendering of his uh, poem. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you would not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this. 
the great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? I'll I'll read it again. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you do not do this out loud. Otherwise, someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye? that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. So just going back to... um, themes that I've mentioned earlier about the the ethos of our society, the capitalism, industrialization, individualism, which have shaped our attitudes and our relationships uh, that leave us feeling isolated, in competition, in comparison, feeling judged if we don't perform as well, have as much, present ourselves as with as much beauty and attractiveness uh, as somebody else, and, and leaving us so out of touch with the real need of our heart uh, to connect, to, to love, to be loved, to, um, to belong. It's a kind of disorientation of the mind, a disorder of the mind. Um, Again, going back to that sense of how can we cultivate this inner coherence, inner integrity, inner alignment toward truth and kindness and connection. The gratitude leads us to feel indebted to others in a wholesome way. So, um, you know, so I, 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 as I arrived yesterday and, and I was unpacking and then I came into the hall and I saw how Bibiana had set up everything so nicely and the boards and and she was so attentive and caring and conscientious and I felt so grateful I mean and Bibiana would say well it's my she might say it's my job it's what I'm supposed to do but or and yes and and I I know that the, the care with which she did it and I felt so grateful and supported um 
And so I wanted to tell her, you know, Viviana, thank you so much <laughs> for what you did. And I'm now embarrassing her. So. <laughs> but, so there's a mutuality of uh, receiving, giving, and and so on. It's um, uh, it brings us into a flow in which we can learn to give freely without expecting something back. You know, even even not expecting back recognition or or even thanks. Can we? I mean, it's 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 nice, but you know, sometimes we give something and then we say. I didn't even say thank you. But is that really why we gave it? You know, did we give it because we wanted to help? Did we give it because we wanted to, uh, to share what we had? Generosity is a skill that we can develop. You know, so many of these beautiful qualities of heart and mind, um, we are, we are uh, perhaps... Maybe because there's a lack of teaching about cultivation, about bhavana, um, that we just think, oh, they're such a compassionate person, or they're such a loving person, or they're such a generous person. They must have been born that way. Um, and, you know, who knows? Maybe there are people who are born with um, a kind of sensitivity and perception, uh, that make it easier for them. Maybe the early, you know, months and years of their of their lives were also uh, supportive to those qualities. We can we can cultivate these qualities, and they bring so much joy to us. The Buddha said that generosity gives joy in three ways. Now, maybe I'm stealing a line from. Bibiana's Dana talk. Uh, this used to be Janet's, in Janet's Dana talk, that um, at the end of the retreat, that, that generosity gives, you know, when we have a thought of giving, it's usually accompanied by a, a feeling of, oh, you know, a kind of a joy. That would be nice. And, and then the act of giving also if we go from the thought to the act, uh, the act of giving is also, it's mostly joyful. Sometimes, you know, if we're giving something that we're really attached to, there can be that little pull of attachment too. <laughs> but, but mostly there's a joy in it. And then the remembering of it. I find this really to be true, that the remembering of it you know, whatever it was that I was attached to, whether it was, you know, stuff or money or, uh, you know, time, my time, um, it's gone. And it, you know, it's, and, and, and I have that memory of having given and, and that connection uh, with that person that I gave to. And, and that brings joy. But sometimes we don't get from the generous thought to the generous action. And, um, and Joseph, uh, Joseph Goldstein um, talks about that. And he, he says, uh, 
you know, he tells us, he's told several stories about uh, like having a thought to share something and then, and then thinking, no, no, I, you know, I, I think, I think one of it was a Dharma story. It was a, like something that happened and he thought, oh, that really illustrates a point in the Dharma. And he thought that I should share that with Sharon Sharon Salzberg, because that would really be aligned with how she teaches. And, and, it was, and then he thought, no, that happened to me. I'm not going to share that with her, so I'm going to keep it. And then he went back and forth and back and forth. And finally, finally, finally when next time he saw Sharon, he just laughed and told her the whole story about what happened and his whole back and forth and, um, and, 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 gifted her with this Dharma story so she could use it in her Dharma talks. We, we so often get back so much uh, from giving. Uh, and a couple of examples. Um, uh, uh, I used to, um, I know Anne has participated in this program uh, just thinking if anybody else had nobody here. Um, we, uh, I used to, it's still continuing uh, without me, but I used to go to visit, um, to, to meditate in prisons. In, in a prison, we, we meditated with inmates in several different prisons over the course, course of years. And uh, very often, you know, we, it would go, we'd go in the evening and very often it would be at the end of the day and i I would be just really feeling like the last thing I want to do is get in the car and drive to Laval, and uh, especially in the winter. And um, and and then we would arrive, and 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 we would be together, and uh, and we would have this shared intent of a shared generosity with the community, and. Um, and then, and then we would be with the inmates, and, and of course, the inmates who came to these sittings, they were they were really wanting to use that practice to change their lives, to to become more able to be with those impulses that had driven them to create suffering for themselves and for others to allow those, uh, to recognize and, and not act on those impulses. So that's so, it's such a wonderful practice uh, to teach to people who have um, gotten into those patterns. And, uh, and they were so, um, so grateful. Yeah, it was just, so this, again, this connection of gratitude and, um, and generosity. So, so maybe just take a few minutes to, um, to contemplate you know, the question that I asked earlier in the, uh, in the talk. Um, who has loved me? Who has, just, just for being who I am. Um, who, has, who has supported me? who has seen me and helped me step forth in this life 
uh, to more skillful, more um, more conscious, more elevated ways of being. Who am I grateful for? And how has that planted seeds in me which have borne fruits of generosity? Thank you for your attention. So it's time for walking meditation. I'm just going to record this because I can't turn it off. Uh, It's time for walking meditation. Um, So I I think everybody has done walking meditation because nobody stayed back uh, before. So um, 
So I invite you to explore. Walking meditation can be done in different, in different ways. Um, one, one way, which is very supportive uh, in the beginning of a retreat, can be to, to have a structured practice in which just walking back and forth, um, feeling uh, especially the touch of the feet on the earth, um, the movements of the body, the, the legs um, lifting and moving and placing, uh, and the sensations in the body as you, as you walk. So that can be a, a really um, helpful way to collect the mind, to, to give this uh, kind of framework of you take about 20 paces, 25 paces, you might like between two trees or two rocks or whatever demarcations you use, and, and just go back and forth, uh, walking and then turning around, pausing, feeling yourself standing on the earth, and then beginning again. And so I encourage you uh, to do that at least you know a few times uh, during the walking period. Um, you can you can maybe you want to walk at a normal pace to begin or and then gradually as your if your attention becomes more collected, you might slow down, become more precise in how you experience each moment of you know of your placing your heel and then placing the foot and so on. Uh, so you could explore that, play with that, be, be light about it. It doesn't, you know, again, perfectionist minds don't, uh, it's not helpful. And, um, and, then, uh, and then other ways are just to walk, you know, to, to walk around, to, to have, you know, but, but if we're not careful, because we do walking in our daily lives, we, it tends to activate the mind, right? So we walk and we think, we walk and we plan, we walk and we think about well, what are we gonna do next or where are we going or, you know. So, so that's why it's helpful to kind of uh, help the mind settle with a more structured practice and then to walk and then just bring that quality of, of mindfulness of body to, uh, to just an ordinary walking. And, um, uh, and then later, maybe tomorrow, I'll give some other suggestions for how to incorporate um, you know, more of the senses into our walking practice, uh, which can be really helpful also to bring that into daily life. Um, so, yeah, so enjoy your walking, then you'll come back. And Bibiana will be guiding the meditation at 3.45. And then there'll be another walking practice uh, before supper. <laughs>